We have all of these, come on, Ray, I'm sorry. We have, all of these, we have all these concepts that run sort of like this. Church is a hospital. Church is a place for like broken people. You know, I'm a broken person. And so, you know, church is a place where broken people come and get healed. And, you know, there, there's actually some truth to that. There's actually some merit to that. It says in the, in the Gospel of Luke that they came to Jesus to hear him and to be healed by him. And so there's, there's, there's an aspect of the church that's supposed to be a hospital. Some other people work off this this picture or this vision of the church that says, well, the church is a sanctuary. It's a place where we can all get together and get away from the bad world. You know what I'm talking about? The world is bad. It's full of bad people who do bad things. Can't watch too much TV. It's full of bad stuff. Don't turn on the radio. It's full of bad stuff. And so we just, you know, we, we, we hide ourselves away in the church. And so there's this picture of the church that's this picture of a sanctuary. And there's, there's some truth to that as well. Church is a sanctuary. It's a safe house. It's a hospital. It's all these things. But it's not just that. The church is a place where we come to give. I want to read that scripture to you again. What shall we say then, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. And when Paul gives this, gives this to you and gives this to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, when he lays this out, what he's not doing is he's not saying, church, there, in order to have church, here's the five things you've got to do. Somebody's got to have a hymn, somebody's got to have a word of instruction, someone's got to have a revelation, someone's got to have a tongue, and then someone's got to have an interpretation. Do those five things, do them in that order, and when you're done, by the time you get to the interpretation, at that point you've successfully concluded church. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, quite simply, he's just riffing, kind of like a guitar player will riff. Paul's just riffing, and he's saying, when you come together, bring something. Everybody's got something to bring. Amen? And so here's the deal. When we gather together, we get together not just to get something, but we get together to bring something to give. You know, and, and it's the reason that we start here at the vineyard. We start with worship every single time. You know, the first thing we do when we get together here is we, we just want to give ourselves to the Lord. Not to get anything. Not, we, we, don't, we don't worship so that we can open up the heavens and beat demons and you know, all, we don't do that. It's, 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 it's a false idea that surrounds worship sometimes in certain camps. Worship is to come together to, before God and just say, God, you're awesome, and just give him everything that he rightfully deserves. It's just to acknowledge the truth that already exists. It just lines ourselves up. And so for some of us, the most, sane thing that, the, the most sane 30 or 45 minutes that we have in a week is the 30 or 45 minutes when we all get together and we say, Jesus, you're incredible, you're awesome, you're holy, there's no one like you. So that's the way we begin. We begin by just giving to the Lord. And then, but then we don't just want to do that. We want to create a culture around here. And I think this is what the Lord's after. He's after creating a culture where people come not just to get, but they come to give to one another. You know, and here's the deal. When you got saved, the grace of God didn't just wipe your sins away. The grace of God didn't just clear your conscience. The grace of God didn't just blot out, uh, blot out stains. It didn't just blot out shame. The grace of God, and it did all of that, by the way, thankfully. But the grace of God also poured into you His precious Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit drops on you, He, he gives you something. He, and so He's graciously gifted us. And so we're a graciously gifted body that's been arranged perfectly by the Creator. So when we gather together, this arrangement, these people who are together in this room, it's a divine appointment created and arranged by Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit themselves. And so when we come together, it's a, it's a time to give. It's a time to give from the Holy Spirit that resides in each one of us, it's a time to be a blessing to the person to the right and to the left, to the, and who, the person who's in front of you and who's behind you. In 
And giving isn't done in a vacuum. And giving isn't something that we perform. And it's not, it's not one more thing on an ever-growing checklist of tasks that must be performed in order to pacify God. See, we give from a place of love. And that's really what we were, we were, what we were looking at last week when we opened up 1 Corinthians 13. You know, we don't, just, we don't just give. We don't just exist to serve one another. And, and we certainly don't exist to, to, to give and to serve one another from a place of just checking off lists, like you would write out a list on Monday, all these things I've got to do. And when I do these, then I've been successful. That's not the heart that we live in. The heart we live in, it, it, it's, it's rooted and it's grounded in love. There's a fountain on the inside of us, and it's, it's, it's a, it, it was placed there. It's a deposit placed there by God. And, and so when we, when we minister to one another, when we partner with the Holy Spirit to see exploits of the kingdom, when we partner with the Holy Spirit to see the kingdom of heaven, the future break into the present, when we partner with the Holy Spirit on exploits like that, what we're actually doing is we're, we're wanting to partner with love. Last week we looked at the first seven verses in 1 Corinthians 13. And here's what Paul's laying out, just by way of review for some people who haven't been here. In the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, this is more than stained glass, and this is more than a scripture that people read at weddings. Uh, in the first seven verses, Paul's laying out for us one simple idea. And the idea is this, that love is supreme. Above, above and beyond all things, love is supreme. If, if, you, if you can speak in tongues of men and angels, but you don't have love, you're just a, you're a noisy symbol. And I'm tempted to go get that symbol again. Except, <laughs> for those of you who were here last week, it was annoying, wasn't it? It was, it was God-awful, right? Yeah, it doesn't matter what we do apart from love. We become this resounding gong, noisy symbol. You could be the kind of person who has gifts of prophecy to the point that, that all knowledge and all, all mysteries are open and available to you. Someone who's really useful, but apart from love, it, you know, it, it amounts to nothing. And you can be the kind of person who surrenders their bodies to the flames and gives everything that you possess to the poor, yet at the end of the day, without love, it ends up profiting you nothing. And so that's what we were looking at yesterday, or last week rather, we were looking at the fact that, that Paul's just laying out for us that apart from love, all ministry is meaningless. Ministry, all ministry that we set our hands to, all ministry that we set our hearts to, must come from that fountain, that fountain on the inside. It must be rooted, grounded, and sourced from love. Otherwise, you're leaving yourself wide open to most likely be serving the Lord out of selfish ambition. And I really don't have time to go into that, but it's just the truth. I've seen it in my own darn life. And, um, and when Paul's laying, out, laying that out for us in the first seven verses, he's laying out what I would consider to be... Uh, it's in some, anybody in here have a math brain? Like, I know there are some people who are math-brained. There are a few in here, you know. So I want to I talk to the math-brained people. This is the way it goes. There's, there's the great equation, okay? It's the great ministry equation. It looks like this. Ministry times love equals growth and success and prospering in the kingdom, you know? But here's the deal. Ministry times nothing equals nothing. You know what I'm saying? What, what do you get when you multiply something times zero? It's always zero, you know? And so that's basically the great equation that Paul's laying out for us. You can, you can, you can have all the externals right, but apart from love, there's no great multiplier. There's, there's nothing that's getting behind it and making it something more than it is on the surface, you, you, set your, you set your heart to minister out of love, and the thing that you've actually done is you've set, your, you've set your heart to minister in an exponential realm. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. 
And then from verse 4 to verse 7, Paul goes on to just spell out the kind of love that's so essential for the church and for followers of Jesus. And the kind of love that he spells out for us is that kind of love that's, that's long-suffering and it's kind. It's the kind that doesn't boast and it's not proud and isn't rude or it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And every time I read that little section, um, there's the part of my, every time I read that section, something in that list like bumps into my stony heart. You know, there's, there's something in that list that will, will capture me and it, it's like, oh, that hurts, you know, because it's a sharp list. It's such a exacting it's such an exacting definition of what we're really wanting to draw from. And, and I, you know, I confess to you guys lately that the, the one in, that was bumping against my heart last week and even this week is this whole, this whole idea that real love, it keeps no records of wrongs. I, you know, it, it, has no, it has no need to be justified. And you know, if there's anything about me, it's, it's this. I love to be justified. When I swing the battle axe, I want to know that I'm swinging it from a justified place. And that's just really not the Lord. And that's the kind of love that we've been loved with. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. That's the kind of love that we've been loved with. And uh, because of that, we've been led into being a new kind of person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that, that for followers of Jesus, we, we, we're, not just, we're not just following a new dude around out in the desert. We've actually become a new creation. And we're a new creation that was born in love. See, God said this. He says... God said this, he said, I love the world so much that I'm going to send my only son for them. See, here's the deal. God loved us so much that he sent his own son. See, you see, salvation and redemption is rooted in love. And for that reason, people, people who take God's word and who accept salvation and who accept redemption and who, take, who, who begin to trust Jesus to satisfy the wrath of God for themselves, people who begin to make that exchange, what you, what you need to realize is you're, becoming, you're not just becoming born from above, you're becoming born in love. The womb of heaven is open, and when you slid through the womb of heaven, you became a person who was born from love, and love was born on the inside of you. And you think, wow, you know, I read this little list in 1 Corinthians. It seems so impossible. There's always something in that darn list that's bumping into my stony heart. You don't understand the people I live with. They're massive jerks. The people that I work with are even bigger jerks, and my neighbors, I want to kill them. And you think, so this is impossible. You know, how can I ever live from this spot? But I want to tell you, it actually is possible. It actually is possible because you were born, you were born. Redemption wasn't just about saving you from hell. It was actually about putting something on the inside of you. And one of the things that got put on the inside of you was a brand new nature. And you, you have a love nature now. Some of us just haven't discovered it that much. But we will. Let's look at verse 8 because this is where I want to start today. Because of all of that stuff, because we've been highly treasured, highly valued, highly loved, because even while we were enemies of God, Christ Jesus died for us. Because of all of that, verse 8, love never fails. And here's the thing I found. Maybe, maybe you're kind of like me. Here's the thing I found. Love never fails. But I found out, I'm, I'm 31 years old, and so I've been alive for a little while. Uh, I've been alive longer than a lot of people in here, and then not nearly as long as some other people in here. Um, Pastor Ray's been alive way longer than me. And so he understands what I'm about to tell you way more than I do. But here's what I found in, in 31 years of life. I found that at least intellectually love never fails. 
but I've pretty much figured out that everything else in life will fail you. And I don't know if you're with me on that or not, but everything else that you can put your hope or trust in life will absolutely fail you. And um, so we can, we can go down the list. You know, human strength will eventually fail you. There's some athletes in the room or or, or, you know, you just, you know, you, you, have, you, have a, you begin to put your trust in your own abilities. You know, human strength will eventually fail you. I, I, know, a, I know a girl who's, whose dream was to play college basketball, and in training camp, at practice, before she ever stepped foot in an actual game, she blew her knee out, college basketball is over. Why? Because your human body will eventually fail you. Here's the other thing. We're all going to die. Human strength will eventually fail you. Everyone's going to die. You know, eventually, it's just going to happen. Not only human, human strength will fail you, but some of you guys are farmers or maybe you grew up on a farm and you know about crop failure. Anybody in here know about crop failure? Yeah, I actually know about crop failure this year. I have two acres of grapes. I have one acre of Chamberson and one acre of Riesling. They're both wine grapes, all right? And so we've got them contracted out to sale. And um, everything's going swimmingly, except this year happens to be a really wet year and it's unusually cool. We didn't even have one day in July that was above 90 degrees. It's really strange. Like, how does this happen? And so I'm out there looking at my grapes. They look good, they look good, they look good. The Chamberson keeps looking better, better, better and the Riesling begins to rot on the vine. So that by the time that I'm ready to harvest these suckers and send them to the guy in Paducah and get a paycheck, and that's the main part, get a paycheck. So by the time I'm ready to harvest these suckers and get a paycheck, there's nothing left to harvest. And my wife and I lose like five grand, just like that. Crop failure, you know? You eventually will experience it. Your human body will fail you. Crops will fail you. Human intellect and wisdom will fail you. The, The computer that I have at Sunshine Natural, it fails us all the time. It's probably because it's a PC. It just crashes. <laughs> my, efforts are always, my efforts are not always enough. Strategy for the sake of strategy doesn't always work out. I, I know, I know a, a young married couple who as soon as they got married, this is actually not Heather and I, by the way, because we would never do this, but I know another married couple who are friends of ours, and as soon as they were married, they made a five-year plan, and they just kind of had this, these bullets of the five-year plan, and nothing on the five-year plan came out. In fact, most of the five-year plan went the exact opposite of the five-year plan. When I meet them, I always laugh about it. I have to bring it up. I'm like, what's up, dog? How's that five-year plan going for you? I don't know about you guys, but I also have a long history of owning cars that fail. Transmissions, alternators, batteries, brakes. Uh, you guys know when transmissions fell, don't you? They fell on vacation. <laughs> Your transmission will be swimmingly until you go on vacation. And here's the other thing I found. I don't know why this, this is either. But I've also found that transmissions like to fail on vacation, usually somewhere around Jellicoe Mountain while you're going south. Somewhere in the mountains, transmissions just die. They, they, know what, they know what their job is. They're like, well, I can give up the ghost here. And relationships, they often fail. You know, you have a boyfriend or you have a girlfriend, and six months into it, you think, this person's everything I ever hoped and dreamed for. And then two weeks later, you've got their, you've got their name and number deleted off of your cell phone, and you never want to mention them again. In fact, they become the people that we do not speak of. And, it, it, you know, and it's failed relationships, and we've all had probably some of that, people that we do not speak of, and they become, they become the fodder for songs, right, Glengy? Yeah, they just become fodder for good songs. In light, of, in light of the fact that I found out that pretty much everything in life 
will at some point fail you. Here's the good news this morning. And I hope you can catch this because I'm not trying to be cute or, or trite. But here's the, here's the good news, and it's the, kingdom of the, it's, the, it's the message of the kingdom this morning. Love will never fail you. Thanks, Jesus. It will absolutely never fail you. And here's what I really want to get to this morning. I want to say this, that to align yourself with love is to align yourself with victory. And to align yourself with love is to align yourself with God. Because God is himself love. 1 John 4, 8 says this. God is love. It's, it's, the, it's the simplest description of who he is. It's the simplest description of his essence. Love never fails. And so to align ourselves with love is to, is to align ourselves with victory. To align ourselves with love is to align ourselves with God. Because God, he himself, is love. That little phrase, let's just meditate on it even for a second. Love never fails. See, it sounds good and it feels right. But in the midst of a life where it seems like everything else that can fail will fail. In the midst of a life where it seems like everything else that can fail will fail. um, Sometimes life will become clouded and complicated. And and in the midst of, of painful circumstances and in the midst of of a clouded life or in the midst of a complicated life, uh, sometimes we begin to ask ourselves, well, where the heck is God? Anybody in the room ever done that? Like you're going through something, you're like, okay, I know God's real. Uh, maybe, maybe even during your painful time, you read this passage, you go, well, love never fails, and you begin to think, well, great, where is God? You know, I'm going through this thing, I'm crying out. I'm even doing the Christian religion thing right. You know, I'm like, I'm crying out to Jesus, I'm praying more, I'm reading my Bible every morning. And the presence of God is nowhere to be found. Anybody ever been in that spot? I want to get super, super practical here with this, with this reality that love never fails. Because here's the deal. Paul is not just, he's not just laying out for us pretty poetry, okay? He, he's not just saying, he's not saying, you know, uh, let, me, let me write a good poem, you know? He's not, he's, not, he's not being entertaining. He's not being flowery for the sake of letting everybody in history know how smart he is. He's not. He's at, when he says, when he writes, love never fails, he's actually being super practical. And so I'd like to suggest this. Then in the times of life where everything is 100% clouded, you can barely find the presence of God. You know that in your head, intellectually, that God is omnipresent and so he's everywhere all the time. But the, the, the experience and the reality of his, his manifest presence in your life, you can't find it. It doesn't matter if you, doesn't matter if you fast. It doesn't matter if you pray. It doesn't matter if you read your Bible. It doesn't matter if you roll around the carpet. Doesn't matter if you go see the guru and have the guru pray for you. Doesn't matter if you and the guru roll around on the carpet. Seems like, listen, I only say that because I've done it, you know. It's like I have a hard time. You go find, it's like, well, if I can't find him, then I'll go to the guru. You know, the big name person. I'll get the big name person to pray for me, the guru. And you get the big name guru to pray for you. You find out, well, that guy doesn't know any more than me. It's usually disappointing, you know. So I'd like to bring it down to something really practical. And those times of life where, um, where it seems like everything's clouded and there's a lot of confusion, you're not exactly sure what to do, you cry out to God and you experience none of His presence, there's a question that you can ask yourself. And you begin, it's a question that you can actually begin to pray into. And, and in, in times of uncertainty, when you're not exactly for sure what you should do, you should pray this question. You should say, what would love do? When you can't find the Lord, you just need to begin to say, what would love do? Because it, when you begin to get a revelation of what would love do, when you begin to get a revelation of what love would speak, 
when you begin to get a revelation of where love would go, when you begin to get a revelation of what, of what love would do, of, what, of, way, of the way that love would respond, of the way that love would, would, would gather someone in, what you've actually done is you've, you've just, you've just set, set yourself in uh, and you've just got a revelation of what God would do. Because God is love. It's, it's actually hugely practical. And so I'd also like to suggest that to ask, to ask these questions, what would love do and how would love respond, and to begin to pray them before the Lord in a difficult time, I'd like to suggest that to ask these questions is to honestly connect with the heart of God Almighty, who is, who is himself love, and whose actions, all of them, are conceived, motivated, and executed in love. You see, it's not just biblical poetry, it's practical life. I want to read that again. That was pretty darn good, even if I did write it. To ask these questions is to honestly connect with the heart of God Almighty, who is himself love, whose actions, all of them, are conceived, motivated, and executed in love. So love never fails. And the fact that love never fails, it gives us an anchor that we can tie on to. Even when we can't find God, we can begin to connect with Man, what would love do? How would love respond? What would love say? What would love's actions be? And when we do that, we actually begin to connect with the heart of God. And we begin to experience His presence. So love never fails, but it's not just that love never fails. This entire paragraph that we're going to look at here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that last paragraph, the point of that paragraph is not just that love never fails, but it's that love never ends. Love is eternal. Let's read it. How about it, huh? Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And when I was a child, I talked like a child and I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Yeah, that's what Paul's telling us. He's telling us not only, not only is it true that love never fails, but love never ends. You see, prophecy will one day cease, tongues will one day be stilled, and knowledge will pass away. And here's the deal. Certain streams have used this passage as a proof text to say, well, as a proof text for basically cessationist theology, which is to say that Everything supernatural that you read in the New Testament, that's all done away with. And, you know, this is, a, you know, a lot of times they'll use this passage as a proof text. And that's really not what this passage is about at all. Paul's not, he's not saying that, um, he's, not, he's not giving us a theological discourse on uh, how, how, how and when tongues, prophecy, and knowledge is going to pass away. He's saying that love is going is to last forever. And here's what I want to get to. Um, well, I'm going to go through that just for a second because I feel like there's some of us in the room who may have come from that background and have maybe even heard this scripture used in that way. Um, yeah, certain, certain streams of, of, of the church have used this passage in that manner. And um, to basically say that the gifts of the Spirit have already passed away. And, and basically what this line of thought says is it goes like this. It says, you know, tongues are going to pass away, prophecies are going to pass away, and knowledge is going to pass away. And then basically it's, it's, it's located in verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And so for cessationist theology, um, perfection, when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. 
for people who have a cessationist theology, basically what they're, what they're getting at is, well, we've got the Bible, that's perfection, and when, when, the, when the Bible was completed, completed and canonized, now we don't have need of these other things. We don't have need of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, spiritual gifts in general. We've got the Bible. And uh, people come to this conclusion for, for one basic reason. They come to this conclusion uh, based upon their experience. And, and generally, people, generally speaking, people who, um, who have a cessationist theology, they really hate that word experience. But really, they come to this conclusion based upon experience, or perhaps better, better said, lack of experience. They say, well, I've not encountered tongues in the church in a way that seemed to edify the spirit. I've not encountered prophecy in an, in an everyday manner in the church, and I've not encountered supernatural knowledge in the church. I've not encountered healing in the church. Where is it? I don't see it. I don't, I don't experience it anywhere. And so because, because I've not experienced it, therefore it must have passed away. And, and since it's passed away, surely the perfect has come, and surely the perfect could only be the Bible because we've got it and we can hold it in our hands. Everybody kind of get with that, with that line of thought? That's basically the line of thought that's, that's taught, but that's really not what Paul is, 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 is passing on to the Corinthians and, and, by extension, passing on to us at all. This is what he's passing on to us. He's saying love is, love is never going to fail, and it's, and it's never going to pass away. Everything else is going to pass away, but it will not. And so it brings us back to verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when, but when perfection comes the imperfect disappears. And so I just want to ask everybody in the room, when will perfection come and when will the imperfect disappear? And I would like to suggest that the perfect will come and the imperfect will disappear when the kingdom comes in its fullness, Jesus in all of his glory, and we meet with the Father face to face. Let's look at verse 12. So I want, to, I want, you, to keep, I want you to keep this in your brain while we, while we read verse 12. And I think it will become abundantly clear for everyone in the room. Keep this in your mind. Ask yourself while we read verse 12, when will, the per when will perfection come and when will the imperfect disappear? Verse 12, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Do you, do you guys see that Paul is actually dividing time periods? He's saying now and then. He's comparing and contrasting the now and the then. By extension, just... Just sort of logically speaking, if there's a now and we're in the now, the then would be somewhere in the future. Am I right? Let's read it again. Tell me what this sounds like to you. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. When are you going to see face to face? Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. When is it that you and, and the person to your right and to the person to your left, front and back, when are you going to know fully just as you're fully known? When the kingdom of heaven comes in its fullness, when God in all of his glory, when, when, let me put it this way, when, when we experience such a manifestation of the presence of God that all of the lesser lights get turned off. There, you know, when the kingdom comes, this is what it's going to be like. Jesus is, Jesus is going to be enthroned next to the Father. They're going to be the light source. All other lights will be turned off. No needed. Won't even be needed. And so again, Paul is dividing the times for us. Now we see poorly, then we'll see clearly. Now we know in part, then we'll know fully. When the kingdom comes in its fullness, 
we'll have that kind of a revelation in our life. You see, the scriptures, they've, they've, they've graced us with a greater revelation. And so they've allowed us to see better, but they haven't allowed us to see more fully. The scriptures are themselves 100% truthful, 100% trustworthy. But the problem is, I don't trust myself and my ability to divide them always. You know? Have you gotten in a room and open up the Bible with about six or eight people? And you know what you're going to get? Six or eight opinions about the very same scripture. Why? Is it the Bible's fault? No, of course not. It's that we haven't had a perfect experience of the presence of God yet. See, argument ends in, the, in an experience of the presence of God. That was really good. You should write it down. So the perfect that will come is the fullness of Jesus' kingdom. We live in an, we live, theologians put it this way, we live in an, an inaugurated but unconsummated kingdom. It was inaugurated with Jesus' resurrection, but it is yet fully consummated. Let's look at verse 11, because I want to I talk about something else as well as we press on here. Love never fails, and it's never going to end. Verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Stop. This is something, this is another little, little fragment that's sometimes thrown out there because people realize, wow, you know, love is, is the thing that never fails and it's never going to end. And, you know, basically, spiritual gifts, these, are, these, these things are immature and what we really need to do is just latch on to love and go for love and let's just leave Let's just leave partnering with the Holy Spirit behind me because that's just for the immature. That's just childish. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever been chided because you've been pressing for power and someone says, well, yeah, what you really need to do is this, this, that, and the other. Well, here's the deal. If the perfect has not yet come, we live in an immature, childlike age. I just want to say that. And who here would, 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 would fuss at their two-year-old for acting like a two-year-old? Anybody in the room willing to fuss at a two-year-old for acting like a two-year-old? Let me, let me tell you a funny two-year-old story. My wife and I, we, had, um, we were at a, at a friend's wedding. Maybe the best wedding I've ever been to in my life. Some of you guys were there. Sammy and Tiffany Yoder's wedding. By far the best wedding I've ever been to in my life. And we had our, at this time, uh, we only had two kids, not three. And my middle son, Seth, was two years old, and he had his little cowboy boots on. And, like, this is a nice wedding. Like, Tiffany's family have this incredible house and property, white fences, and it's outside. It's at her home. We've just had the wedding, and the backyard is full of circle tables everywhere, and everyone's eating. Uh, the music is getting louder. There's, people are starting to jam and dance. And, and then right over next to, that, like, the reception table where all the food is, and there's all these people right next to the reception table, uh, my son Seth, he's over there, and... Um, but he doesn't look too hot because he's got his pants down around his ankles and he's just, he's just peeing right there in the grass, you know, in front of God and like 350 people. It's absolutely hysterical. Heather was mortified. She was like, well, you know, go get him, Adam. I'm like, well, let him finish. You know, it's like, what are you going to do now? I mean, he's got his pants around his ankles. But do you fuss at Seth for being a two-year-old who doesn't want to pee in his underwear? No, you're, like, if you're the father, you're, you're thrilled that he's not peeing in his pants anymore. You are thrilled. You're like, son, anywhere you got to go, you just do it, pal. 
But it's kind of the same point. Nobody fusses at their kid for being a kid. And so here it is. Here it is. At least eschatologically, we live in the time of spiritual gifts and pressing in for power and going for the next thing and, and going for healing and going for prophecy and going for wisdom and revelation because we need it. It's not just immature. It's the time that we live in. It's okay for kids to be kids. Ray reminded me of something really awesome that a a Bible teacher I actually never heard said. (laughs) Bob Mumford was commenting on this, who is evidently a really famous Bible teacher from the 70s and 80s. And Bob Bob Mumford commented on this very same passage, and he said, Yeah, some some of this is elementary, but so are the ABCs. They're elementary, and every PhD in the world uses ABCs. Right? See, there's something about building blocks that are being set up right now. There's something about what we do now is going to pay off later. And um, when it comes to meeting Jesus in all of his fullness, the one thing that's going to remain, though, is love. And even though it's going to be the one thing that remains, it shouldn't stop our pursuit today of everything else. We've got to keep pressing in. We've got to keep pursuing. When Jesus' kingdom comes in its, in its fullness, let me, let me ask you this. When Jesus' kingdom comes in its fullness, what are you going to do with your healing ministry? You don't need it. You know? So we, it, it, maybe for some of you it feels like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I am. It's the strange thing of the kingdom of heaven. It's called kingdom paradox. You'll know you're meeting the Lord when you're walking in tension and paradox all the time about almost everything. It's called kingdom paradox. It's like I'm telling you to press in for this stuff, and at the same time, I'm telling you, what are you going to do with your healing ministry when Jesus' kingdom comes in its fullness? You won't need it. Revelation says he's going to wipe every tear from every eye. There'll be no sickness and no sorrow. What are you going to do with your prophetic ministry in heaven? Who are you going to prophesy to? You won't need it. Let's go back to verse 12. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know a part, know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. You see, our current experience of God is clouded. It's kind of like looking in a dim mirror. We have a, we have a clouded experience of God right now. Not only that, but it's indirect. You see, when you look in a mirror, the image that you see is actually indirect. It's like looking at a photograph. You could take a perfect photograph of a person, and you could hand it to someone. I could take a picture of Disco, hand it to someone else, say, this is Disco. And the person has encountered the photograph of Disco, but have they actually ever really fully encountered Disco? No. See, that's part of what's actually happening even now. We have an, indir- we have an indirect experience with the fullness of God, even today. So there should be hope in our heart for for tomorrow when we can look face to face with God. Love is the one thing that will remain, but it won't on, it's not only going to remain, it's actually going to increase. Let's look at verse 12 again. He says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. Check this. When, when, when Jesus' kingdom comes in its fullness, we're going to have an encounter with the presence of God that's going to allow us to know him as well as he knows us. It's like, how much do you love God? I want to tell you this. How much do you love God? Your ability to love God is in direct relationship with with the knowledge of God that you have by experience. Did you catch that? Your, Your ability to love God is in direct relationship 
to the amount of the knowledge of God you have by experience. See, we have to encounter God. And so there's some people in here who have really encountered God. They've really in, encountered His presence. And by doing so, they have, they have a pretty deep well of the knowledge of God. And it's only scratching the surface to what will be. Love is not just the one thing that, that, that always wins, that never fails, and lasts forever. But it's actually going to grow because your knowledge of God is going to increase. You're going to know Him. You're, you're going to fully know even as you're fully known. You're going to know the, the fully the depths of His love for you. You're going, to, you're going to feel it. You're going to know it. It's going to bypass your cerebral cortex. It's going to hit you in the heart. And you're going to live from it. It's actually going to give life to your body. And so when Paul writes in chapter 13, verse 13, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The reason love is greatest is because it will remain. Love never fails. It never ends. It never ends. So to give ourselves to love is to, is to give ourselves to victory, is to give ourselves to God. And so that's the reason that we ask, what would love do? What would love speak? How would love respond? And when we ask those questions, we posture ourselves to experience the eternal. You see, love is the one thing that will remain forever. And so when we begin to ask those questions, when we begin to say, what would love do? What would love respond? How would love speak to this person? How, how, would, love, how would love communicate? Where would love go? What would love have me do? When we begin to think along those lines, when we begin to pray along those lines, and when we begin to live our lives along those lines, we're not just, we're not just encountering the presence of God in a new way, but we're actually stepping into the eternal because love never fails and it always remains and so i would like to suggest this we're a kingdom people and the kingdom of and this is what we're about we're, we're about seeing the, the future age being broken to this present age we're, we're about seeing things that most people thought were far far off coming into the imminent and i would like to suggest this is a strategy for seeing the future come into today when we begin to posture ourselves from a place of love and say what would love do? How would love respond? What would love have me speak? Where, sh where would love have me go? When we begin to live from that place, we enter into the eternal. And when we enter into the eternal, it's the future breaking into the day. You want to know how to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and cleanse the lepers? Begin, begin to associate with love. Begin to say, what would love have me do? Where would love have me go? What would love have me speak? Where would love, where would love have me gather? Where would love have me sow? When we begin to live our life from that, we begin to enter into literally the essence of God, and we enter into the eternal realm. And when we enter into the eternal realm, we literally break, we bring the future into the day. You're like, well, I've got a neighbor who's got cancer and it's a giant tumor and the dude's going to die. The doctors have said it. Not really. Just begin to love for the guy. Begin to get God's heart of compassion for him and begin to ask yourself, what is love's opinion of that cancerous tumor that's in my friend's body across the hall? When you begin to live life from that, from that realm, the future is working through you. The eternal begins to come in and it, there's, there's eternal power that gets unlocked there. It's part of the mystery of God. And because of that, love should be highly valued. Love is supreme. But let's look at just the first verse in chapter 14. Because it's not either or, it's both and. 
That's really what I wanted to get to this morning. It's not either or, it's both and. Look at what Paul says. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Stop. A lot of times there's this, there's this tension and this pull uh, within the body of Christ, and it's either we should go for power or we should go for, we should go for character. We should, we should go for demonstrating the kingdom or we should go for uh, creating a culture where the fruit of the Spirit are, you know. Uh, you know, if somebody gets, if you pray for the sick, Matt, and somebody gets healed, that's good. But what you really need to focus your time on is making sure that you're a nice person who loves people and you have joy, love, joy, peace, patience. And so sometimes there's this tension. Which do I go for? And the, and the biblical answer is both. It's not either or, it's both and. And there's no place in the Bible, especially no place in the New Testament, where there's an admonition to follow one and not the other. And so when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when we read all of it, we sometimes get this sense that what Paul is saying is that spiritual gifts don't matter. What we really need to do is press into love. No, that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is don't pursue spiritual gifts without pursuing love as well. He's not saying don't speak in tongues. He's saying don't speak in tongues without love. He's not saying don't prophesy. He's saying don't prophesy without love. He's not saying don't press in for revelation and knowledge. He's saying don't do it without love. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. That, that rocks my world because most of us in here are familiar enough with the scripture to know this, that the Corinthian church was a whack job church. In fact, it's actually like our church. I'm convinced more and more from the Lord, the Lord that of all the churches in the New Testament, us guys here at the Vineyard were the Corinthian church. And so if that bothers you, I'm sorry. But um, I, think it, I think they're just who we are, you know. And, and, and the Corinthian church was a church that was overemphasizing tongues. They were, they were doing this equation that went basically like this, speaking in tongues equals spirituality. And so there was all kinds of all kinds of division in the church. It was really a messed up place. And it was so messed up that most of the time you would think, wow, if I were the, the Apostle Paul and I were writing a letter to these guys, the first thing I would do is tell them, just quit spiritual gifts. Just try loving each other. Don't do any spiritual gifts. Don't prophesy. Don't speak in tongues. Don't heal the sick. Don't go for revelation. Don't go for knowledge. Chill out till I get there. Try to be nice to one another. You would think that's what he would say, wouldn't you? But he doesn't. He actually says right the opposite. He says, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. It's not either or, it's both and. You know, some of us in the room are really, really comfortable with pursuing power, with, with pursuing supernatural breakthrough, with pursuing the, the, the inbreaking of the kingdom. Some of us are really comfortable with that. Our hearts are energized in that. And the, and the word from the Lord for you this morning is, do it, but do it with love. And then there's some others of us who are, who are really uncomfortable with all of that, but we just want to be good people. We want to we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. We want to have all of those things. And the word of the Lord for you is, yeah, eagerly desire spiritual gifts as well. Here's the deal. You can't actually pursue love without pursuing spiritual gifts in the present. Look at verse 1 again. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. I want to tell you, you can't even follow the way of love without eagerly desiring spiritual gifts. What kind of person would tell their father, Dad, I like you. I hate your gifts. I love you, Dad. Your gifts suck. But I love you. Just don't give me any of that stuff. But I love you. Keep that stuff far away from me. I, actually, I'll take that one, but that one offends me, Dad. Get it out of here. Dad, don't bring it in the house, but I love you. Who would do that? Everybody catching the vibe? <laughs> the New Testament admonition 
is for the church to be a place that pursues both. It's like wings on a bird, you know? A bird can't fly with one wing. If he's a really talented bird, he might fly in a circle. <laughs> but a bird that's going to make any process or progress needs both wings. And so it's, it's wings on a bird. It's, we can't just pursue power. We've got to pursue love. And at the same time, we can't pursue love or any kind of love that at, the, that at its heart doesn't pursue power and kingdom takeover. I mean, we just we can't be the kind of people who, who come up to someone who's dying of a degenerative disease and saying, man, I feel bad for you. See ya. You know? We, we can't be the kind of people who just take people to the doctor. Like, we're, we're not against doctors. We're for them. And if you're, sick, we, if you're sick, we think you should go to the doctor. But we also think that if you're sick enough to go to the doctor, you ought to get prayer. But we can't be that person. We, we just can't be those people. We can't pursue any kind of false manifestation of love that at the same time doesn't bring the kingdom. Paul says, desire gifts. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. In in fact, just as a bonus round here, one of the ways that you activate gifts in your life is just by desire. Hunger activates the supernatural realm. Hunger activates spiritual gifts. Let me say this. Hunger is actually a sign of spiritual health. Think of a baby that wasn't hungry. How many days would you let your baby that wasn't eating go before you became concerned about them? Yeah. See, there's something about hunger that's a, that's a barometer for spiritual health, and hunger releases the activity of the Spirit in our life. There's a lot of ways to receive spiritual gifts. You can receive spiritual gifts just by the supernatural grace of the Lord. He just says, from the day you were born, I've just purposed that, Matt, you're going to be gifted in this way. I've just done it. The sovereignty of God releases spiritual gifts. Hunger releases spiritual gifts. Paul says to to Timothy, fan into flame the gift that, that was given you by the laying on my hands. There's something about laying on of hands and impartation that releases gifts, but there's something about desire, and I think it's the most essential element. Desire releases the supernatural around us. And so desire is one of the ways that we follow the way of love and pursue spiritual gifts. I want to end with this, and then we'll be done. I said it last week, but I just feel like it, it bears repeating. Church, we are a place that is known for a lot of things in our community. We're known for tunes. We're known for, we're known for you know, uh, a loud band. Um, I like that, too. Like, the louder, the better. Let's, let's, I want to feel it in my guts. I, l- I love it when the kick drum hits and I feel it in my liver, you know? <laughs> Seth agrees with me. Yeah, man, let's party on, Wayne. But, um, yeah, we're known for a lot of things here at the Vineyard. We're known for, you know, maybe writing some tunes. We're known for, for trying to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and cleanse the lepers. We haven't always done that real well, but we're known for trying. We have a reputation that exists in these areas, and, and I really feel like one of the things the Lord wants to do this fall is he wants, to, he wants to convince us of his love again, and he wants to add to our reputation. He wants to add to our reputation, both in the house and outside of the house, that we're a people of the love of God, who pursue the love of God, who demonstrate the love of God, who, who break that stuff off and pass it out, and that we're a people who are slow to anger and quick to love.
who begin to embody even parts of his own character. Amen? Amen. So here's the word of the Lord. I only had like one little nugget this morning. It's not either or, it's both and, Vineyard. It's not either or, it's both and. Amen? Hey, we want to do the stuff this morning. So if the ministry team would come on up. One of the worst things we can do is, is to train ourselves to hear the word of God and not respond. It's like, it's, it's the root of all deception. And uh, so we want to do, uh, do lab and not lecture right now. Uh, we always do ministry time here at the Vineyard. It's always an optional ministry time. But today we've just, uh, we've just picked some of our people on the ministry team. And uh, one of the things we want to do is we just want to release some prophetic encouragement in the house. That'd be all right. And in the New Testament, I'll just read from chapter 14 here. In the New Testament, the gift of prophecy looks like this. It says, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And it's just releasing divine encouragement. It's to, it's to speak to one another what God's opinion about you are, what, what God's opinion about you is. And so we, wanna, we just want to do that this morning, if that'd be all right. And uh, hopefully these guys have some words. Bubba? Yeah. Um, you guys, uh, are, you, are you all together? Are you all married? Yes. You're not married. Okay, cool. All right. Um, well, whether it's together or apart, I don't know. All right. But, but the Lord, uh, sure. I'm not saying that at all. Don't, don't take it wrong. But the Lord just kind of highlighted both of you guys. Uh, you're both really anointed for uh, a ministry. The Lord has this, this uh, it's a large ministry for you guys. Um, it's, it's not, uh, and I'm not saying it's together. Don't, I don't want to like put that awkward thing there. All right. Um, I, f I feel like that uh, the Lord gave me a picture of, of you guys in front of people. Okay. It's, it's like not necessarily the platform ministry, but I think it's, it's not something to be hidden. It's something that's going to be on, on the, the forefront and it's, it's the forefront of something big and it's, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's a big thing from the Lord. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, what I'm what I'm even getting right now is I just feel like you guys are gatherers, and that um, and that you're the first fruits of many, uh, and I feel like the Lord has has set uh, actually actually uh, this whole row it's just uh, there's a grace on all of you guys right here on this row to be gatherers to your people. I feel like I feel like what the Lord started in you guys is going to be exponentially multiplied over and over again. I just see the words mother and father over you, and it's and it's not just about natural children, but it's about children in the in the in the spirit. And that you're going to be people who, who are reapers, and, and I see the word gatherers over you, and harvesters. And, and this is just a season. I also feel like this is just a season. Like your time, uh, your time here in Campbellsville is just a season of preparation. It's just a season to hear the Lord. It's just a season to have his identity implanted into you. And then I feel like you guys are going to go back home as well. And that there's going to be, uh, there's going to be just, I see just a wave of the Holy Spirit coming with you. And that, that you guys are going to be gatherers. That's just the main word I, I'm getting. So, yeah. It's a good word. Yeah, there's lots of people involved. Yeah. It's really anointed. That's all I got right now. Just Thanks. Move on. Um, is there a Kayla here? Kayla in the house? Kayla. Kayla. Maybe a middle name? Okay. Anybody know a Kayla? We'll just, we'll, I mean, heck. Anybody know a Kayla? Awesome. There's a bunch of people who know Kayla. Give the word, Kendall. All right. Um, Kayla's been on my mind all week. Uh, I just saw a picture of her. Um, she had these white, shiny boxes that were hollow but complete in all 
sides and corners. They were solid boxes. And um, she just kept, each one was a different level, and she just kept setting them like steps, one in increments of, of size, um, one after the other, and the Lord kept giving them to her faster than she could work. And I just really felt like she was being blessed with um, levels of growth being handed to her, whoever she is. And uh, I just really felt a blessing of purity over her life, too. Sure. So, um, Lord be with Kayla. Yeah. Bless her purity. Bless her growth. Yeah. And I uh, just really feel like Jesus is making it easy for her. And she's never going to have to turn around and go, what's next? It's always going to be right there in front of her. Good so, one. Kayla. All right, and I'll tell you guys, this is what sometimes happens when we get names. And, you know, it's kind of awkward. You're like, well, it's Kayla here. No, there's no Kayla here. Anybody here have a middle name named Kayla? No, there's nobody here with a middle name named Kayla. Anybody here know Kayla? Yeah, there's a few people know Kayla. Here, one of two things will probably happen. You can pretty much mark my words on this. The people who know Kayla can go give her that word. It will probably mean something to the, to the people that, that know Kayla. But there's a really good chance that somebody in the room is going to meet Kayla this week, okay? I can't tell you how many times this has happened. You're like, oh, there's no word, there's no word. And then you, you live your life, and on Wednesday, you run into this girl at, at Subway, and, you know, her name tag will say Kayla, and you'll be like, I have a word for you. All right? So if you, if, you, if you meet a Kayla this week, just realize this is a divine appointment the Lord's setting up. Cool. Um, I just kind of feel like uh, I felt the word, um, like Mary at your feet, and I really feel like it correlates with Adam's word about love about just falling at the feet of the Lord and loving and loving and loving mm -hmm. and loving and loving. Mm -hmm. So I just, yeah, put it out there. Thanks, Jesus. Sammy? Yes. Uh, I actually have a word for this girl here in the blue. We're actually in my speech class, I think. <laughs> um, I just felt like the Lord um, just spoke just a storehouse blessing over you. Mm. Um, it's just really just like in your personality and stuff, you can just really tell that you're wise and you carry the wisdom of the Lord in you, mm. um, and I just feel like that the anointing that the Lord's given you, almost like like in the winter time when an animal feels like, you know, the winter's coming, he just like keeps storing stuff and keeps storing stuff because mm. he knows he's going to need the food, but I felt like throughout your life that um, you've been able to grab the things that, um, that you're going to need for later on in life, the That's wisdom so and stuff like that, so I just really feel like that you have this deep, deep well inside of you of wisdom. And it's really from the Lord, and I just want to bless it. So, yeah. bless. It's also a prophetic gift. You know, it, it's, not, it's not just wisdom, but it's a prophetic gift to know what's coming and to be ahead and be ready for it. And it's going to be one of the things that marks your life. You're never going to be the kind of person who's like, man, what, what, what am I doing? You're going to be led by the Spirit, and it's even going to be prophetic. You'll just, you'll just be, you, you'll even catch yourself saying this, because my wife and I have said this sometimes. You'll even catch yourself saying this feels like I'm always a year ahead of everybody else like I do something and then everyone else does it and you're just you're just a, you're opening the way, you're opening the path for people you're kind of a pioneer that way okay we'll just go ahead and stay in this row uh, you're here in the white what's your name yeah yeah Dana um I feel like the Lord has laid a blanket of purity over your life and it's it's definitely highlighted that it's over your life not under your life you don't walk on this purity but you walk under it and you also carry the gift of the presence of the Lord. Like right. when you walk into the room, like, like the room will be filled with the presence of Jesus just because he, he dwells so fully inside of you. Um, and also I saw a, um, a, a dresser drawer being pulled open and there were new garments in there. And I really feel that the Lord's going to start, 
just just placing on you these garments of praise. Come on, Jesus. So I just prophesy that into your life. That's New good clothing word. in the kingdom. Um, and also, you here in the red polo, what's your name? Yeah, you. Jacob? Um, I really feel that the Lord um, has blessed you with the gift of forgiveness. Not only can you give out forgiveness easily, um, but that you receive it easily and it, it, it's quick. Like mm-hmm. once you, you call for forgiveness from the Lord, he gives it to you. And anytime people come to you um, needing forgiveness from Jesus, it's something that, that when you speak it out, a light switch comes on inside of their heart. Come on, that's so good. Um, and Hannah Bess, um, I saw the Lord um, give you this red rose, but he took it from a place of that was just dead. Like it was brown. This, it was like an entire forest that was just completely just gone. Like everyone had given up hope for this forest. But in the middle of the forest, there was one red rose, and he pulled it out, and he gave it to you. And also, I see, like, um, angelic activity just to start pouring into your life. So, Thanks, Jesus. Yeah. Thanks, Jesse. Cliff, my friend. All right, um, I, got a, I got a couple, I don't know, weird words. Um, does someone have problem in their left wrist? Um, it's like aches, you've got, like, some arthritis, um, any left wrist. Okay, um, Richard, anyone else? Yeah, several. Okay, cool. Um, Richard, man, I feel like <laughs> you've got, like, I see that, like, total fear is leaving your life. Mm. Like, I just see, like, you swimming in an ocean of peace, and I just see you going out deeper and deeper into the realms of God. Mm. So I just want to bless that in you. Um, okay, I feel like in this side of the room... Um, uh, this is a total risk, but um, I feel like someone has like the pain in their left, right elbow, and it shoots up their shoulder. Is there someone, anyone here who has that pain in the right elbow? It shoots up your shoulder. Anyone? Anyone in the room at all that has pain in your right elbow that shoots up your shoulder? Yeah, over here. Okay, well, you know. Oh, uh, over here. Oh, you have it as well. Okay. Well, okay. There you cool. Go. Um. Okay. Okay, well, I'll just pray for you afterwards. Um, Okay, also, I feel like there was someone who was in a car accident. You hurt your neck, and it causes you to have headaches. Um, Is there anyone in the room who has that, like a whiplash sort of Uh thing? Okay, cool. Um, I'd love to pray for you, too. Yeah, we Um, don't think it's cool that you had a car accident. I don't think it's cool, but the Lord does want to touch you. We think it's cool that you're here. Um, So that's all I got. All right. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right, why don't we stand up this morning?